Hey, uh, welcome back. It's uh, Star Trek MTT, Megan's Top 20. Sorry. Uh, I believe it's episode 12. I think we 11 was the last one. Yeah, we did a two-parter this time. Yeah, we did a two-parter. Uh, before we get to that, I want to say um, the reason we didn't record last week is because even though it's after the holidays, because we take a break over the holidays, is because of the events that happened in the Capitol. We mentioned this in our other podcast, but... We decided we weren't going to record that day. No. And we're trying to get this one into the wire before, theoretically, more protests, violent insurrection protests, protests uh, seditious acts take place uh, starting probably this weekend. So I'm hoping I can get this posted by the, the 15th. Yeah. And if, it, if those acts do take place, we're probably not going to do a podcast next week. Plus, Megan's schedule is a little hard to work around next week. So. Yeah. We're probably going to take another shorter break, yeah. but we're letting you know that now. And, of course, thoughts and prayers to everybody out there. Please stay safe. And anybody who would engage in these kinds of acts, stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So on that note, we're going to move on because uh, we're yeah. trying to get this done tonight. It's already pretty late. Yeah. And today we're talking about uh, Purgatory Shadow and In Inferno's Light, yeah. I believe is the two-parter. It's the one with Worf and Garrick. Megan mm -hmm. picked another Garrick episode. I, uh, Oops. Yeah. Oh, damn. <laughs> this is definitely one of the good ones, though. Garrick has some of the best I'm episodes. I'm sorry for all the DS9. It just happens to have my favorite episode. You don't need to apologize. Uh, the, the show this is, is my top 20, damn it. The show is legitimately good. It's it, Like I said, it, we've said it before, and I'll say it again really briefly. The show benefits a lot from binging it. I have a sneaking suspicion that if you had to watch this week to week, you probably wouldn't love it as much. You lucked out being able to binge it as quickly as we did. Well, I don't have to worry about that. I didn't grow up with Star Trek. I'm just saying, if you, <laughs> if you were watching it now, having to wait week to week, you probably wouldn't love it as much. Because mm -hmm. uh, although the show's still really good, you would be like, okay, get to the next major plot point. Yeah, I prefer things that are already finished, honestly. It's really hard when a show isn't finished and I watch it, and then I'm like, oh... When's the next season? <laughs> and then it's like, oh, yeah, that's not coming out till next year. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> but getting back to this episode, because we're trying to get through it, uh, this is one of the better Garrick episodes. He's got a lot of good ones, but this is one of the better ones. Yes. Uh, I would say the percentage of really good Garrick episodes is probably better than almost any other character in all of Star Trek. I'm going to try Star not Trek, to honestly. do as many DS9 episodes, but I have at least two or three that are on my list again. And you only got like eight more to go. I know, so, so I'm going to have to narrow it down to like two of those, maybe? <laughs> okay, uh, listen. <laughs> so, well, let's... So this yeah. is this is the continuation of a lot of story elements. It opens yeah, up with Odo is... Odo just having become a changeling again. Mm -hmm. So he's moving I all think, of his furniture out. I think it was like one or two episodes before that. But still, right yeah. after, and yeah. he like there's a lot of ongoing background story elements that are commented on in this. This is one of them. Yeah. Uh, where it opens up with Odo saying, "I'm a changeling again. Not a solid. We should get all his furniture out." Which he does. Uh, Kira's there helping him. Uh, it also is indicated that, you know, Odo wants uh, a relationship because he was reading up on self-help relationship books. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Kira says, you know, you could still date. And he goes, dating is for solids. I'm not a solid anymore. She goes, you are a solid 18 hours of the day. I mean, there's a lot of women who probably like if you gave him a chance. Yeah. And then he's like, I'll think about it because he has a huge crush on her. And then they get a, a they pick up a, a Cardassian transmission yeah. from the Gamma Quadrant. Yeah. And then they they run through all of their possible connections, you know, Starfleet, Cardassia Prime, all that stuff. None of them know anything. 
So then they decide to contact Garrick. And then uh, Garrick joins Bashir, in quotations, and Zial at lunch. Mm -hmm. And it turns out he goes... Oh, I can't tell you how sad they all looked when I informed them it was just a five-year-old Cardassian planetary survey. And then Bashir goes, planetary survey? That and, exact face! Yeah, that's the exact look. Uh, and then um, he goes, I'm surprised you're not more sad, Garrick. After all, you might have hoped it was some survivors from the Cardassian... Um, the the Cardassian Order Tal Shiar dual fleet from, like, the Odo and Garrick... Uh, yeah, which is really good too. <clears throat> I had, you know how hard it is to narrow down episodes. Yeah, you love Garrick. It's understandable. <laughs> so, um, I'll try not to pick a Garrick episode next week. <laughs> yeah. Or whenever we get back to this, but he, uh, he, uh, he says, I've accepted the fact that all those Cardassians are long dead. And Zayal says, "That's funny. I never took you for someone who gives up." And he goes, "There's a difference between giving up and accepting the truth." So uh, then uh, we cut to Garrick breaking into a shuttle. Yeah. And inside the shuttle is, again, quotations, Bashir. And he says, how did you know I was, that, the trans that you were lying about what the transmission said? Zial was right. You're not, you don't give up. And then he tries to convince, Garrick tries to convince Bashir yeah. that they should go off on this epic adventure to, to rescue Inabrantain and the others. Because it turns out that the transmission is specifically designed by Inabrantain for Garrick. No one else knows yeah, this they both, transmission. Yeah, both, the, both of them designed it together. And they're the only, only two people in the universe that know it. Yeah. Um, and uh, Bashir says, okay, let's go to Captain Sisko's office. And I'm just saying it right now. Okay, spoiler alert. That's why Eric's been saying quotation marks Bashir. This is not Dr. Bashir. No, much like the, I think the last DS9 episode we did was The Way of the Warrior, where it was Martok was a changeling, but we didn't Martok. know. Martok. We didn't know about <laughs> that until many episodes later. This episode. This episode, we know. Specifically. We know that it's, yeah, we meet real Martok. But we yes. knew he was a bit of changeling before this, because yes, they kill him yes, in the beginning of the season. Him. Uh, but then, by but this point... in this case, what I'm saying is much like that wasn't Martok, but I was referring to him as Martok to save yeah. time. This is not Bashir. This is a changeling impersonating Bashir. And it's yeah. great once you know that, you can tell. Yeah. Because it's got... The, it's, the actor did an amazing job, especially in this episode, where yeah. he, he's basically delivering every line deadpan. Mm -hmm. It's the lines that Bashir would say, but not with the inflection or enthusiasm Bashir would say. Them. Yeah. And it also explains a lot of his weird behaviors throughout the season, too. Mm -hmm. Well, he's only been gone a month. Yeah, so but... So it would be a couple of episodes. It would have been a couple episodes, but he was acting differently. Yeah. At least in my opinion. It sounds weird, but out of all the characters in this show, my favorite are Garrick, of course, mm -hmm. and Dr. Bashir. So I noticed this shit. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I like that you know, much like Martok, once you know he's not really Martok in Way of the Warrior, you can tell I that he's not acting at all. I also commented that, like, like, if this is the real Bashir, they would have already taken off by now. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. Well, I honestly think at this point, Bashir is wise enough not yeah. to run off into adventure without at least informing Captain Sisko. He would have volunteered. But he would have volunteered and he would have gone with them yeah, if he had Yeah, without chance. question. Without question. Uh, first, he tried. I like Garrick's way of running through this. First, he tries out and out lying about what the trans mission is so he can just leave on his own. Yeah. Then he tries tempting Bashir with the idea of fun. 
on. Yeah. And then he tries appealing to Captain Sisko's sense of decency and honor. He knows the people he's talking to, and he portrays all of his sales, sales pitches to them specifically, which I like. Um, so they go to, to, uh, to Captain Sisko, yeah. and like I said, he does pitch to him, look, there could be other survivors from Federation ships, from the Bajoran colonies that were in uh, the... The Dominion area. All territory. these missing ships that have gone. Tane might not be alone. We can save him. Yeah. And we can save the others. But I have to go there. And he goes, okay, well, you can go, but you're not going alone. And he thinks, oh, Dr. Bashir, I think you just volunteered. And there's a great moment where fake Bashir looks genuinely concerned for a second. He's like, oh. But it's really quick. Yeah. But it's because fake Bashir. Does not. Want to leave. No. He's now, got a, a mission. A lot of people have theorized what would have happened if fake Bashir had been sent on this mission. I think, honestly, he just would have waved loose on this. On the other side of the wormhole, contact, killed Garrick, contacted the Dominion to send a ship to damage his shuttle, yeah. and then raced back through, saying that you know Garrick died in the attack. He was attacked by Jem'Hadar, and Garrick we died. And Garrick, Garrick died, and there's nothing, we, we're not sure what's going on. Yeah. Uh, so all so, so his, there was nothing we could do. Nothing we could do, but honestly, it would have it, things would have gone much worse. Yeah, I don't think they would have gone better because some people are like, well, if he wasn't there, he couldn't do it. He just would have turned around and gone back and continued his normal mission. That's yeah. what he would have done. Or he would have come. This just would have been a slight hiccup in his plan. Or he would have destroyed his shuttle, snuck back to the station some other way, and impersonated someone else. Yeah, he he could he would have. As a changeling, I say he because he's impersonating Dr. Bashir, but we know changelings have no gender. No real gender. No Although real they gender. do seem to lean one way or the other, because the female changeling is always the same female changeling. Yeah, but it, overall they don't have a gender. No. So, but we're going to just refer to him as a he because he's impersonating a, a male character. So, so but, um... Yeah, he would have found a way back to the station to continue his mission. And it turns out... Or he would have stepped up the... the, the Timeline a little bit. A little knows? bit. Uh, and it turns out Cisco decides to send Worf. And as I said in, I think, the last two Garrick episodes we did, some of the best episodes involve Garrick, but specifically Garrick with one other character. Now, this is not a two-person play like a lot of the other Garrick episodes are. That I love. This is about two different people earning each other's respect. Because Worf, although he doesn't hate Garrick, has no particular affection for the guy. Oh. Worf, when he showed up on the on the, the DS9, had a really hard time accepting how DS9 ran. He yeah. absolutely hated Quark. He didn't really like Odo. And he has he has no interest in gray areas, at least no. not at the start of the show. No. It, it's, he very much is still the next generation. Yeah, he's a black and white kind of universe guy yeah. at the start of this, his appearance on this. At yeah. this point, he's gotten a little bit softer in, you know, regarding people like... He's dating like, Jadzia. Well, also he helped out Quark to hook he's up with that one Quark. Klingon chick. Yeah. So the idea is that he's actually... Um, making connections. He's making connections. But with him, these very great characters. But him and Garrick have never had that. Yeah. So this is their attempt to actually grow that out. Yeah. And Garrick really hasn't had any reason to interact with Worf all that much. No. Um, so uh, in, uh, they have a scene where Jadzia and Worf, like, again, another story point they're bringing up is that Worf and Jadzia are now Parmakais, which is basically engaged yeah. to get married. And uh, Worf mentions, you know, Jadzia is all angry that Worf agreed to take this mission without consulting her and he says you know in Klingon culture there are things that even a Parmakai doesn't have say in you know yeah. wharves are Klingons are warriors I, I've been called to battle I'm gonna do it yeah uh, and then she like 
sneaks in a kiss and then borrows his Klingon operas. Yeah, she's and, like, these are going to be mine for a little bit. And she, he's like, you, well, you have a tendency to lose things. She goes, yeah, you're right, I do. You better come back really quick. Because really you never sweet. know what's going to happen to all of these. I apologize if you hear either the dog or sirens. It's been a busy day for noises. Um, Plain earlier. <laughs> so the... Uh, the so he has... Uh, She's all playing with him. I, I think, honestly, Jadzia and Worf might be the cutest couple in Star Trek. They're adorable. They really do click really well once you get used to them. They fit so much better than, like, Worf and Deanna. Oh, that was a terrible coupling. Yeah, but I do like Worf and Jadzia. They yeah. do they do play off each other really well. They're not the worst couple, but they're pretty close. <laughs> Worf and Deanna, she's talking about. Yeah, not, not, not Jadzia and Worf. They're my actually my favorite heterosexual couple. <laughs> in Star Trek? In Star Trek. I would say there's a couple others that are pretty decent. There's I like, pretty decent I like uh, Bellana and Paris. Yeah, they they're have, pretty good. Um, I and like, once they got to an actual relationship, I liked uh, Trip and Paul. They just took three seasons to get to anything remotely approaching a relationship, and then more or less abandoned it at the finale. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, that, yeah, it, it rubs me the wrong way with the finale. Yeah. Um, but let's not get too sidetracked. Yeah. We got to get through this. Yeah. So. Um, Dukat and Garrick have a scene where Garrick, you know, Dukat, Garrick is saying goodbye to Zial, and there's been a storyline up to this point that Zial and Garrick are in a relationship. But I want to I clarify see quotation marks for that. Yeah, well, it's as I was talking to Megan about this when we were watching it. It feels very much to me like Zial, who is about ten years younger. I'm guessing it's more like twenty years. I don't think so. I think it's closer. <laughs> it's supposed to be closer to ten years based on the actor age. Although. Admittedly, she was played by a much younger actress when we first saw her. Yeah. But 10 to 20 years younger, I think she has a massive crush on Garrick. And it's understandable. He's yeah. for a Cardassian, very handsome. He's got a striking feature. Mm. He wears the ridges well and the spoon head. Uh, <laughs> he dresses like a gay man. It's yeah. great. <laughs> he has smart, dapper outfits, and he's very cultured and intelligent. So there's a lot to, for her to be attracted to. For Garrick, I honestly think it's more of an older brother relationship that he's trying to forge. Yeah. And it's ZL constantly pushing for romance that I think weirds him out a little bit. Yeah. But he does still genuinely care about her. Yes. So the two uh, have this this uh, conversation where he promises he'll be back, and she says, are you sure? And he's like, yeah. And then Dukat shows up and, and threatens to kill Garrick by throwing him over a balcony. <laughs> and Very I, calm individual, that, yeah, guy, that I, Dukat. <laughs> I absolutely love Garrick's reaction, which is when he's being held over the edge, he goes, go ahead, do it. She'll never forgive you, you know. He's not scared for one moment. No, he's he just no like, fucking with, do it. He has no problem with dying on the condition that he knows it'll absolutely ruin Ducat's relationship with his daughter because Ducat's people fawning over Ducat is all he ever really cared about, in my opinion. He's the kind of man who wants people beneath him bowing to him. He wants to be worshipped. Yeah, in, really. more or less. As, as a typical fascist. Yeah. That's what they want. Um, <laughs> There's actually a line at the end of this that's chilling, but we'll mention it later. Yeah, we'll mention it later. So uh, <laughs> after that, Worf and Garrick head out. Dukat tries his best to get, you know, tells Yal you can't be with him, and he, she's like, I'm going to hang out with whoever I freaking like. I'm an adult. <laughs> yeah, you tried to kill me when we first met. We're, you're, not have, you're not exactly father of the year. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you haven't been around. We don't talk much. 
He's the only Cardassian here? What the, Yeah. And What um, do you want from me? <laughs> and I like that even Quark steps in and basically says, Look, if you kill Garrick, I'll contact Odo and have him have you dragged away. I'm sure he wants you to be locked up in his place. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and it turns out that Ducat was claimed he was in a battle with some Klingons and his ship needs service, and that's why he's at the station. So then, uh, while Garrick and, again, if you apologize for if you heard any bone crunching, it's our dog chewing the bone. Mm -hmm. uh, so then Garrick and Worf are on the shuttle, and Garrick starts pitching that he wants to join Starfleet. <laughs> and the thing I love about this lie is it's, one, a great dissection of Worf and, and Garrick's relationship, yeah. because Worf genuinely buys it after a bit, and then realizes Garrick's just fucking with him. <laughs> yeah, he's and just he's fucking really mad with about him. him. He's like, yeah, but I've got to practice, and it's fun. And then he's like, and Worf's like, no. And he's like, well, you're no fun. Uh. And Worf's like, good. Good. But and the other like, thing I like about it is that it's one of those things that after after Nog uh, joined Starfleet, who's one of the people Garrick references, Yeah. it was implied to a lot of fans, maybe maybe Garrick will eventually join Starfleet. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> no. And uh, he, this basically is them saying, no, Garrick would not make a good Starfleet officer. Ironically, if it wasn't for his devotion to Cardassia, he'd make an excellent Section 31 officer. Uh, yeah. Like, if he was not still devoted to Cardassia by the end of the show, if I were Section 31, I would recruit the fuck out of him. Yeah. Because he's got just enough of a moral compass to be on the good guy's side once he knows who they are. Yeah. But he also will do abhorrent things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's so, he's very much a character on a redemption arc for something we don't even know. No, we never know. We and never I know. His, I hope we. I don't want them to explain it. Although I, mean, I will they admit, they do a little bit in in his book that Andrew Robinson himself wrote, uh -huh. but not enough. I'll tell you right which now, which is good. I'll tell you right now. I hear he shows up in in Star Trek Online. We're not there yet, but no. I hear he shows up in that. And I'm looking forward to it. I am too. Uh, one thing I will say, though, a prequel game where you play as Garrick working for the Obsidian Order, I would play the fuck out of that game. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh. Uh, so anyway, um, uh, so I love the Starfleet lie. And then we cut to Dukat getting angry at uh, Kira for... Allowing ZL to... Um, hang out with Garrick. Yeah. And first of all, I love that... But she originally thinks it's because he's allowing Zial to... She's taking Zial to the Bajoran Temple yeah. for worship. And he goes, I don't care if you... Like, I don't care if you allow her to engage in your backwater superstitions. She's half Bajoran. It's part of her heritage. I like that even when Dukat is being multicultural, he's still a racist <laughs> I fuck. know. He's still like, a racist about it. I'm not a huge fan of uber-religious people, which the Bajorans are by and large, but they're still allowed to have their worship. I know. And they're allowed to... Get, and people who want to share in that faith are more than welcome to. Yeah. <laughs> in my opinion. So the so, fact that he basically calls them backwards and backwater. Yes, we know for a fact their gods exist. Like, we yeah. know the prophets are a real we thing. We know, of course, they're aliens, but that's yeah. not how they view them. Yeah, it's not. It, it's like they're a version of the cues. It's so. closer to actual faith in something that's real than most religions. I know. So, <laughs> I At least they it. can actually visit them. I don't think we actually know what the Cardassians worship, if anything. We know they worship the state and their families, but yeah. what do they do they have religion? I don't know. I mean, probably it was probably lost once they became a military dictatorship. Yeah. Maybe. Um, so anyway, uh, so he has a really angry conversation with Kira, and we were talking about this. Uh, the Zial Garrick relationship creeps Megan out a little bit just because of the difference in their ages. 
But compared to Ducat's obsession with Kira, it is beautiful. Because <laughs> their relationship is so gross, and it gets so much grosser as the show goes on. Yeah, he just is so disgusting with Kira, and I just... Most women, but yeah. Kira in particular. Kira in particular, because I feel like, okay, the way he views Kira is to be a stallion that's tamed. I've said this while, before, while mm-hmm. we were watching it. He he wants to break her. She is the, uh, the unreachable brass ring he has to gain. Yeah. Uh, which is why, and we'll comment on this later. I'll, I'll save it for later because I commented on this when we were there about him, a line he says towards the back end of the first episode. Yeah. Uh, which we're almost there to. Yeah. Uh, so, I, so many previous story points brought up. They also brought up uh, right around now that um, that uh, uh, Kira had just carried. Uh, Kira Yoshi. Kira Yoshi, which is the... Which is Keiko and Miles O'Brien's Second son. child. Yes. Yeah, because uh, Keiko... In reality, the actress who plays Kira just got pregnant. Yeah. But they, in, didn't, they couldn't figure out how to win. Well, no. They, according to an interview I saw yeah. of her, she said like the next day they came up with the idea that Keiko got pregnant... And she was injured in a bajor- while they were in a nebula. So they had, so they had to transfer the, the baby in utero to the only available womb, which was Kira. Kira's. And Kira was more than willing to. And I wish they had played up the relationship she gained a little bit more. But the connection with her being like the auntie Kira to the O'Briens was a nice touch. It's yeah. another way that they became more of a family yeah. as the story progressed. Um uh, Garrick gives a speech to Worf when uh, they're about to enter Dominion territory following the signal, yeah. where Worf says, I'm not allowed to go further, I'm not allowed to take unnecessary risks, and he says, well, why don't we take this nebula, they can't read us, and then uh, Garrick gives Turns a... Turns out they're fucking wrong! <laughs> yeah, Garrick gives a great speech where he basically ends on, it doesn't seem honorable to do anything less than try our best to help them, and then Worf says, you use that word, but you don't know what it means, and Garrick's response is, maybe, but you do. Yeah. And I just, I like that they had him say maybe, because yeah. I honestly think Garrick, it's not the same as Worf's sense of honor, but yeah. he does have a sense of honor. I feel like he also understands it. He just works a different way around yeah, it. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's a very honorable man in a very dishonorable way. In a life. very Cardassian way. Well, he's a very yeah. honorable man in a very dishonorable life, Yeah, in my opinion. He's a man of honor in a den of thieves, but mm. in his case, it's spies and assassins. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, so uh, they're captured. They get into the nebula. It turns out it's a, a bunch of Dominion ships are posted there, like a huge fleet. Yeah. So Worf and Garrick have no way choice more than they expected. Way more than they ex- they would have ever expected. It's, yeah. a, it's an invasion fleet. Yeah. So they turn around and they run for it. They get attacked. They send out a signal warning that the Dominion's about to attack imminently. Uh, and then they're captured with a tractor beam and a bunch of people beam on board, a bunch of Jem'Hadar, and Garrick says, oh, are we happy to see you? Could you kindly point us in the direction of the wormhole? And then one of the Jem'Hadar just knocks his ass out. <laughs> like, like he's going to talk his way out of this shit. No, uh, I just love that Garrick knew there was no chance, but he couldn't stop himself. He, he couldn't help himself. Yeah. So he gets knocked out, and then they get beamed down to a prison planet, asteroid, basically. An internment camp. Yeah, and the, the guy who runs it, Gaktika, I think was his name, uh, grabs Garrick's throat and is about to, is like squeezing the life out of him and then Worf immediately comes over and tries to break the hold. And I like that Worf's immediate reaction was to protect Garrick. Yeah. I mean... He may a, not care for Garrick, but his 
right now, this is a part of his crew. Well, not only that, he was yeah. given orders by Cisco that he to wants protect him. to protect him. He wants he doesn't he basically says to him, "Don't trust him, but I do want him back in one piece." Yeah. And then Worf has a great line. He goes, "At the first sign of betrayal, I will kill him, but I promise to bring back the body intact." Yes. <laughs> which is a great. He goes, and then Cisco goes, "I hope I trust that's a joke." And Worf says, "We'll see." We'll see. <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh my god, that was funny." That was Worf has this a, this show this episode. Worf has a very British sense of humor. It's yeah. all about really quick one-liners. Yeah, I love this episode because it's got a lot of dark humor. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a really funny episode without being like. Star Trek's humor is at its best when it's not trying to actually be funny. No, Usually. when it's just being snide comments. Like a lot that. of snide comments. <laughs> that shit's funny. Uh, so we have uh, real Martok. We, yeah. get, we get to a, a gladiator ring in this camp, and Martok is in it fighting. Yeah. And uh, he he is holding his own pretty well, but then uh, the, the base commander basically says, that's enough, yeah. stop, You know, take what you've learned and go home. And then uh, Worf and Garrett go over and help him. And Martok and says, "Do I know you?" Which confirms that Mar- real, this is the real Martok, and we have never met. Yeah, real Martok. He's never met our crew, and we've never met him. Because the first time we saw fake Martok, he met Worf. So the yeah. fact that he doesn't know him means that we've never met him. Yeah, and that was a good way to catch people up on that They're really like, quick. Whoa, okay. So because a lot of people wondered, this is where he's been this entire time. Yeah, because a lot of people wondered exactly where, where, when was the change for real Martok and fake Martok. And it turns out it's been years. It's been before we met him before. Yeah. Uh, Two years, in fact, he says. He's been here for over two years. Yeah. And then uh, Garrick asks him, aren't you Klingons supposed to kill yourselves when you're captured? And he goes, not while there's a chance of escape or still enemies to fight, which is one of the reasons why the gladiator rings, I'm guessing, still exist. Yeah. Uh, So then uh, we, uh, you know, he says, well, if you are Worf, then you must be Garrick. And he takes him to see Inabrintain. Yeah. Who is dying. And they did a really good job of giving him, like, those heart attack stress pressure lines on your yeah, face. Yeah, his makeup looks different. It's... He looks much more clammy. He's got some red, like... It, it's it's the kind it's of bruising when, you're, when your body is pumping blood really irregularly. It's just not ready. It's, it's ready to give up. Basically. Yeah, your body is holding on by its the skin of its teeth. And... My God, does Garrick have daddy issues? Because spoilers, <laughs> the other big one of the other big reveals for this episode is that Inabrintane is Garrick's father. And yeah. I asked Megan when we saw this the first time, "Did you know that? Did you figure that out?" And Megan said, "No, I, I never guessed That's it." That's part of the reason why this episode is on this list is that it surprised the hell out of me with yeah. a lot of different reveals. This is like one of the first ones. Yeah, this one was one of the first big reveals in this episode that Garrick was. Although we don't know it yet, but yeah. Garrick was Inabrintane's son. Yeah. And it was never revealed, but it makes everything that happened up to this point make so much it's fucking sense. It's not the sense. first reveal in this episode that fucking shocked me, but No, it's... we're going to get to that one. Well, we already talked about it. It's Bashir. But yeah. um, th- this one is... Yeah. Is nice. It's and the I, biggest one, though. It's the biggest one, for, well, from a long-term story. Yeah. It recontextualizes all the previous appearances. I think I mentioned in our first episode with Inabrintane... Yeah. ...that the Inabrintane trilogy, which is uh, the the... The, the Wire. The Wire, and then the two-part with Odo, and yeah. then this two-parter the is a perfect and... trilogy. Yeah. Because it really dis- defines exactly who Garrick used to be, who he's become, and what he is. And, and by he... the way, there's a subtextual line I didn't realize in this, which I'll, I'll clarify again. This episode, this two-parter, is about not giving up. Yeah. That is literally what this episode is about. No matter what it takes, you don't give up. Yeah. Which is great, because... 
the reason, one of the reasons he's able, Garrick is able not to give up on this is because Dr. Bashir is here. Yeah. And the only other time that Garrick was ever tempted to give up, the two times, was the two other Anabra and Tain episodes. Yeah. In The Wire, he debated just letting himself die. But then... But Bashir talked him Bash- into trying Basically, to Bashir's like, no, you fucking ain't. Yeah. <laughs> you and, don't give up, and I'm not going to let you. And then in the Odo <laughs> two-parter, uh, it's when he tries to go back... To, to, what being, what, to being what he was, and he can't do it. It literally breaks him trying to torture Odo, even though him and Odo aren't very close. He just knows Odo isn't an enemy. So doing this just feels wrong. Yeah, Odo, and, it ended up him torturing Odo, ended up torturing him Yeah, just it broke as much. him before it broke Odo. Yeah. And I think we mentioned that in our first appearance, or one of the other Garrick episodes. Yeah. And the reason I like that is because that's the only other time he gave up, is when his morals outweighed his desires. Yeah. Uh, in, but when his morals and desires are aligned, he never gives up. And no. that's what this episode, this two-parter is about. The same is true for Worf, yeah. which we'll find out later. Yeah. Uh, but, a lot of parallels in this episode yeah, for those two. But the, the subtextual message of this two-parter is they, you don't give up. Mm-hmm. And that's what I like. So Garrick and uh, Inauburn have this long talk in which Inauburn, or short talk, where Inauburn basically says, you failed me, you prick. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm, so like, I'm like, damn, he don't change. No, he's dying and he's still an asshole. Garrick literally, to the guy that abandoned him and betrayed him, risked his life going across Dominion space to save him. And his response is, well, you failed. You didn't save me. Which is such a dick move. Uh, it's so an Auburn Tain. An Auburn Tain is the worst dads in any fiction ever. For only having three appearances. Yeah. Um, He's up there with the guy from Lord of the Rings who yeah. tried to burn his son alive. Denethor. <laughs> yeah, Denethor. Denethor. In the movie. In the book, he doesn't do that, I don't think. I don't know. I know in the movie he does. To to borrow from Dominic Noble's uh, terminology, they gave Denethor the full asshole makeover in the movies, (laughs) but he's not that bad in the books. (laughs) But anyway, um, we get a Star Trek First Contact reference when there's a meeting between everyone, all the station heads and Dukat about how the, the Dominion's invading... And Starfleet... It's a very weak time right It's a very now. weak time. The Klingon fleet is still recovering. The Romulans aren't much better. And between the Klingon conflict and the recent Borg invasion, Starfleet spread really thin. Yeah. Which, uh, another story element that is brought in is that the Klingon conflict has been happening. So the two story elements in this are the Klingon conflict is brought up that's been happening. Mm-hmm. Or, and I think you're at a pe- peaceful lull right now. Yeah. And of course, First Contact, which is one of the movies, and the only one Megan had ever, the only Star Trek thing Megan had ever seen until two thousand nine came out. Yeah, uh, which is nice. Another another recurring element that's brought into this story. This story does do a good job of tying a lot of in, yeah. a lot of backstories together. It sounds weird, but when I was younger, the only thing I ever watched was First Contact for Star Trek. I didn't even know it was Star Trek. <laughs> so we're reaching the um, the the end of the story, uh, the close to the end of the first episode, which is. The big Bashir reveal. Because yeah. it turns out that, um, okay, in the, the cell they're sharing, yeah. there's two Romulans, a male and a female, uh, 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 Auburn Tain, Garrick, Martok, Worf, and a Breen. And a Breen. And then they say someone's about to be let out of solitary confinement. Oh, really? Who? And, oh, he's a friend. And then in, they, in shoves the Jemadar shoves Dr. Bashir. Which in the, the old uniform. In the old uniform, which is the big reveal to Dr. Bashir. Because up till now, we've been seeing Bashir on the station. Yeah. And like I said, he's been acting a little dull. 
A little strange. A little strange, but not any, like... Not he's any not noticeable. Fo- he's not the focus. So no. you assume that this is just because he's not the focus of the episode. Yeah, maybe Turns the actor just by, fucking is tired of not being the focus. Well, which is great because it means that yeah. the, the, the switcheroo worked for us as well as the, the cast. That yeah. It was, you assume that he just wasn't trying as hard because it wasn't an episode about him or that he wasn't supposed to be the focus and the director was like, okay, you can calm down your you can performance. You we're, we're dealing with the Klingon, the, the Cardassian, like the, the Dominion War thingy. Yeah. Uh, and then it turns out, no, no, the reason he wasn't being noticed by you or anyone else, even though he's been on, in every scene, is because he is important, which yeah. is a great twist and one that's really hard to pull off yeah i did not see it coming when no maybe when she saw it was like i did what (laughs) like i remember being like "Uh, this is kind of why i picked the episode i was like when i I remember watching and being like oh shit (laughs) like because we already got the martok like reveal at that point and but like i think it was the first episode of this season yeah and then i was like okay cool I didn't see this one coming. <laughs> I didn't. I was like, oh, yeah, it's, it's it not, explains everything. It's not hard to make the Martok reveal because we didn't know Martok beforehand, so we yeah. didn't have anything to compare him to. But having Bashir, having the actor playing Bashir yeah. change his acting just enough so that you notice it once you know it, but you would never notice it if you yeah. didn't, is really hard to do. So I think this is one of his also... I feel like it was Linda Alexander Siddig's like, Acting, the growing acting. Yeah, he's he's moments. really good around now. Yeah, this is um, when Bashir's character gets. Much he literally better. has a badass moment we'll talk about in part two. Yeah, it's completely different than the character would have been in the beginning. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so we're at the last scene yeah. where we get a cut back to the the ship, which is basically just fake Bashir delivering like sandwiches. Yeah. To uh, just to remind in us in the most sinister there. way possible now that he's been revealed to be a fake. Yeah, but we just know, just to remind us that he's there. Yeah. And then we cut back, and it's Garrick complaining to Bashir about how Anab retains a selfish asshole, which he's he is. He's like, what a douchebag! He is such a douchebag! And, 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 when and you complain, Dr. Bashir's like, I understand, he is com- a douchebag. Well, plus Bashir has daddy issues, too. Yeah. Very we different find that a issues, different just, kind. Yeah. Oh. Plus, you know, that it's when you complain to your boyfriend about your dad. <laughs> I know! <laughs> That's basically what their relationship is, isn't it? Yeah. So um, so then it turns out that uh, Martok walks out and says, if you have anything to say to a Nobrin, you should say it now. And then uh, Garrick walks in with... Uh, Bashir. With Bashir. And Bashir sits down, and Nobrin's first question is, is that you, Garrick? Yes. Is there anyone else here? And then he looks over at Bashir and says, no, no. it's just you and me. And I really love that Garrick... It was Garrick's way of showing just how much he's grown to trust Bashir. Yeah. That this is the most intimate conversation he will probably ever have in his life, Garrick. Yeah. And he has no problem with Bashir listening to it. Yeah. Because Bashir would have left in a heartbeat if he had just nodded his he's head. He's like, look, I... He's like, hold on. We've, Bashir, leave. Yeah. Or, or something he just like got, He would just have to look over he him just and nod like, his head, like, towards the door. And Bashir, and Bashir would have like, gotten up and left. But Garrick recognized that not only is Bashir trustworthy, but also that he's probably going to need Bashir This is the closest this. thing he has to a friend. Well, not only that, this is going to yeah. be an emotional moment for him. Yeah. He needs someone to help stabilize him afterwards to yeah. know what actually happened. Yeah. Uh, which we find out in the second part. Yeah. So uh, he has a long talk, and God, is it a good speech. Because at no, point, yeah, at no point is an Auburn painted as sympathetic. No. But you still feel bad. 
Because Garrick deserves such a better father. Yeah. This is when it's revealed. He's still a douchebag. Yeah, it's where he's like, uh, did you kill all my enemies? Yes. Then you know, I only have one request. Let me guess that you want me to destroy the Dominion? Well, you can't deny an old man his revenge. All right, I'll give that. I will make you that promise on the condition that you're not doing this as my mentor or as a superior talking to a subordinate, but that you are asking me as my father. Mm -hmm. And he goes, I'm not, as a father to a son. He goes, I'm not, you're not my son. Inabrin, father, you're dying just for once. Admit it. Tell the truth. <laughs> Look, all that I ask is that for this one moment, you let me be your son. Mm -hmm. And then Inabrin actually never says that you are. Yeah. But then he tells a story about when he was when Garrick was yeah. almost five, and apparently he took him out in the country, and they had a riding hound, which I'm assuming is a large dog that grows on Cardassia. Yeah. And Garrick kept trying to climb on that dog and kept getting thrown out, but he never stopped trying. He never, he gave, never up. gave up. It's always been a part of who Garrick is, yeah. which I really liked. Yeah. And uh, and then uh, and Auburn says I was he, Garrick. Do you remember that day? And Garrick goes, how could I forget? It was the only day. I'm guessing it's the only day in Garrick's life where an Auburn acted like a dad to him. Yeah, acted like an actual father. And then he goes, I was very proud of you that day. And then he dies. And this is a great scene. This is a two-person play scene. Yeah. It's not a two-person play, but this scene straight up is. Yes. Uh, and then he, so he dies. And then Garrick takes a moment to, like, grieve and then stands up and says, I don't know about you gentlemen, but my business here is concluded. I suggest we leave. And then Worf and Martok, who've walked in, go, all right, and we'll get to work on escaping. Yeah. And that's the end, I believe, of that episode. Yeah. And that was really good. Uh, but I like that, that storyline that Garrick never gives up. It's mentioned twice at the start and then confirmed by Inabrin that it was always part of who Garrick is. Yes. He does not give up. So, part two. Um, Ducat's last chance. Because the ending of the episode was the Dominion fleet came... They tried to, to stop the wormhole, and it turns out that the, the thing they did actually reverses. One of the things that made the fake Bashir was doing. Yeah. It made it stronger so they can't close the wormhole anymore. Yeah. To stop the Dominion fleet. And uh, then Ducat is in position in, you know, orbiting the station along with a handful of runabouts and the Defiant. Going to go out in a blaze of glory because there's a boatload of, car of Dominion ships. Just yeah. a boatload. And then Ducat flies away, and they think for a second, because it turns out the fleet is turning towards Cardassia. So you think for a second that he's about to kamikaze his way into the middle of the group and then blow up the ship to save Cardassia. Yeah. And that's what they assume. And it turns out, no, for months now... He's been in negotiation with the Dominion. With the Dominion and Cardassia, and they have just agreed to join the Dominion. And they're conveniently installing him as... As the head of the government. And I asked Megan, since there was an entire storyline, the, the Way of the Warrior, about saving the Cardassian civilian leadership, what do you think happened to all them? And Megan's, I said they were killed. Yeah, Cardassian, he probably had them executed. More than likely, Dukat contacted his old military contacts and said, okay, the civilians ain't doing it. We're losing ground to Klingons. This is all bullshit. We're doing terrible. We're so, better off with the military. So I have, I have a solution. Uh, we side with the Dominion, give them a foothold in this galaxy, and they will back up our military might. And the military probably staged a coup and installed Dukat as the leader with the Dominion's backing, mm -hmm. which is horrifying. Yeah. Uh, and there's a line Familiar, in Familiar, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> And there's a line in this where, um, as Ducat's flying away, he says, 
you and I on the same side, Major, never really felt right. Which is ironic given the later stories. Because yeah. when the, the Dominion takes over the station, he works with Kira quite a bit. He even flirts with her. He yeah. gives her dresses to make her like him. Yeah. And um, and when he becomes the Pa Wraith's emissary, he tries to get Kira recruited to their worship. Yes. So it's never that he doesn't he doesn't want Kira on his side. It's that up till in this scenario where he's off fighting a good fight against the Klingons, defending his people. Yeah. They're equals. Yeah. They have an equal position with each other. She is a mili- she's even a little above him because she has more than one ship at her command. Yeah. But he doesn't want that. He wants her, like Megan said, broken and beneath him. She yeah. wants him, her to worship him. She comes to represent everything he wanted from the Bajorans, which is complete and abject worship. Yeah. Because in later episodes, he goes on about how, you know, the, the deaths calmed down while I was heading it. And there was fewer executions. And they have never erected a statue to me. Can you believe that? And, um, and she's like... What the fuck? Well, the Bajorans in general didn't worship Dukat for his benevolent evil. Yeah. So, um, as a result, Kira comes to represent that, I think, for him a little bit. Like, if he can break Kira, he He can can break any. He can have all of Bajor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because she represents the strongest of Bajorans, honestly, to him. Mm hmm. So uh, then we get word that their new plan at the base, uh, at the prison, is to contact the runabout, is to yeah. use the same broadcast that an Auburn team was using, change the message to contact the runabout to beam them up. Why the hell is the runabout nearby? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's not very well planned. I'm surprised that's, they didn't blow up the damn thing. Well, I can understand them dragging it with them when they went to drop off the prisoners at the station, but why leave it there? Even if you're 100% certain there's no way to reach it, that's a bit like putting a, a, a boat a mile and a half off of Alcatraz, you know? <laughs> as long as they can theoretically swim to it, there's a chance. <laughs> yeah, they didn't think that part through, but that's... It's one of the writing things you have to just go with. You just story. have to go with it, because whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, so then we get word from uh, the, the, the camp. The, the whole camp is being called together, and all the Cardassians... Are now free because Cardassia has joined the Dominion. And now they're Dominion citizens. Mm-hmm. And I like that Megan and I both like that Garrick takes a second to look back at Bashir to verify it's okay to leave. Is it okay? And Bashir's like, go ahead. Because more than likely the first thing Garrick would do is inform Federation Starfleet, Starfleet exactly where that camp is. Hell, he probably let the Romulans know too because they got a boatload yeah. of their people there. Yeah. And they have a better chance of reaching this camp because they have cloaking technology. Yeah, he. He's willing to help them. I guarantee you that's what would have happened. Yeah. Uh, I, the first time I watched it, I actually didn't notice he were, looked back at Bashir. Yeah, he wanted to make sure, is it okay for me to go? Are you guys yeah. going to be all right? And Bashir's I mean, just like... And I like that the, like I said, the unspoken thing is, yeah, get out of here and let them know where we are. They'll come get us. And yeah. he's like, okay. But as he's leaving, the Vorta that runs the camp says, oh, you have Not to stay. Not you. <laughs> he goes, why? I'm Cardassian. He goes, you've been requested to remain here at the request of the new Cardassian leadership. Oh, really? Who? Go to Cot. And Garrick Garrick's is like, like oh. are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I also like that... Um, of all the airheads. There was a scene where Dukat tries to get Zial off the station in the first part, and he says go that that Taylor is... Huh? Yeah, tries to get her to go Cardassia. Off the station specifically. Yeah. And he says um, that Taylor is never coming back. And she says, no, no, he is, he promised. 
And I like the idea that this is that Gukan isn't just doing this because he hates Garrick. He's doing it because he wants to punish Zial for not obeying him. Yeah. He wants to make sure Garrick never gets to get back to her. Yeah. Just to break her heart. Yeah. Because she like because he, he couldn't control her. Yeah. She. He literally says, "You should know. I enjoy. I don't like being disobeyed." Like. And she's just and she's the first to point out, "I'm not one of your soldiers. I'm your daughter." And he's yeah. just like, "Yeah, you're my daughter. You obey me." You obey me, and he. Uh, that's the one thing about Goldacott's character that you notice throughout it is that he always wants people to obey him. He wants two things from people: control. He wants complete control and obedience, and he wants adulation. Yeah. Specifically, un uh, un uh, unconditional love. Yeah. Whatever Ducat does, it doesn't matter. You still should love him. He because, wants him to fear and love him. Yeah, which he but no, he doesn't want to actually earn any either yeah. of those mo- emotions. He just wants well, to fear. Exist. He doesn't mind earning, but, but he wants well, to be loved while he's being feared, which yeah. is a really hard thing to pull off. It's a thing you can't really pull off. Well, there's a great uh, for anyone out there who hasn't seen a show called Black. It's very Sand. Machiavellian. For anyone out there who hasn't seen a show called Black Sails, there's a, it's about it's a pirate series. It's set basically during the era of Assassin's Creed 4. Really good, really dark, lots of boobs, lots of blood. Uh, but there's a scene in it where uh, Long John Silver is in it, and he you get to see him get his leg chopped off. Like the he's being tortured and these guys are just breaking his leg over and over again, and the ship's doctor, when they get get him back, says, I have to cut it off or you'll die. And he says, no, don't do it. And then they chop his leg off. But they know he was taking torture for them. Like, he lost his leg to save his crew. Yeah. And then later, he takes the peg leg he's been given, which is metal in this version, and he uses it to crush the skull of an enemy in front of those men. Yeah. And he says to his men, he's having a discussion with Captain Bones later, and he goes, you know, one day you and I are going to come to blows. Because they've had this on-again, off-again hate relationship throughout the story. And he goes, you see, the men, they fear you, Captain Bones. But me? They know I lost my leg to protect them, and they know I'm willing to kill without question. Mm -hmm. They fear and love me. So it is possible to pull it off, um, but it's rare. It requires very specific circumstances. It's it's based on an Italian writer named Machiavelli. Yeah, I'm just saying. He's Uh, a fucking idiot. But but (laughs) Ducat is a straight-up fascist. He delivers a fascist statement of... You know, Cardassia will be strong again because of me, uh, which is bullshit. Yeah. And then we get the gladiator in, where Worf is called in to fight. And he's a fucking badass in this episode. Yeah, Worf... Uh, it makes up for all the barrels of Next Generation. <laughs> and old ladies. <laughs> old ladies and blue barrels. <laughs> old ladies and old men. An old lady and an old man kick the hell out of... Uh, they beat both... the shit out of Worf. Yeah. <laughs> But in any event, uh, in the gladiator ring, it's a little different than normally. Usually in most gladiator ring stories, it's prisoners against each other. In this one, it's the Jem'Hadar basically learning about the tactics of their enemy by forcing their enemy to fight them. Yeah. It also cleans out the weaker of their own people, which yeah. is great. It's actually a very good... It's, it's, a, it's a much... It's, it's a different way of doing the gladiator better, and I like it. Yeah, if it wasn't for the fact that uh, the Jem'Hadar are immensely... Uh, zealot-like in their devotion to the founders. Honestly, I think the Jem'Hadar and the Klingons are getting along great. Yeah. They have a lot in common. But anyway, so the Gladiator Ring shows up and Worf kicks the ass of uh, this young Jem'Hadar. He's like, is that all you got? (laughs) And the guy goes, that was the youngest and least experienced, but don't worry, we'll find you a better fighter next time. And Martok is just losing his shit about how awesome Worf is. He's just like... 
I want to adopt you as my son. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he does adopt him as a brother later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. But basically, he's like, I can't wait to adopt you into my family. <laughs> they have an awesome bromance. Yes. But uh, this is the start of it. Yeah. Then uh, the Klingons who've invaded Cardassian space pull back to DS9 and Gowron shows up. And it turns out that, you know, the Cardassian, he, he goes, what are your, you know, when they, they show up, he asks to allow his men that are injured and to, to report to their medical bay and any ships to be repaired and Gowron is actually there getting treated by fake Bashir yeah and Cisco says so what are your plans I'm going to do the only thing I can do pull all my forces out of Cardassia back to the Klingon Empire fortify our our our, um, our borders and prepare for a, for the end and then uh, uh, Cisco says you know that's not how it has to go down and he shows him the Kittimer Accords and again the Kittimer Accords are I believe I think there was three stages to the peace treaty between Klingons and humans. Yeah. Or the Federation. Which the also was, had the first Romulan the, intervention. Yeah, too. which was the Organian uh, peace treaty, which yeah. was forced by the Organians to not be at between, war. Yeah. And then there was the Klingon-human pact at, I'm not sure where, was that at Kittimer in the sixth movie? Yeah, that was the Kittimer. And then there was a second set of Kittimer Accords that were signed about 50 years later, yeah. uh, where he, uh, the Federation agreed to never create cloaking devices. Yeah. Because that was brought up in the Pegasus uh, episode yes. of TNG. So there's actually two sets of the Kittimer Accords, which is understandable. Treaties get updated all the time. Yeah, I mean, there's, how many treaties of Paris are there? Like, 30? <laughs> Maybe. But in any event, uh, the Kittimer Accords have been dissolved because of the war between the Klingons and the Federation. But uh, he goes, so Gowron goes, that treaty is dead. He goes, yes, but you and I can bring it back to life. Look, this is the most heavily fortified position between the Cardassian and Klingon empires. If you, uh, the Federation fleet will be here in two days. If you can bring your fleet here, and then Gowron says, we can stand together, united against them in an amazing battle. And then he walks over and thumbprints the Kittimer Accords to reactivate them. And I love the idea that Gowron is excited about this, not just because he's a Klingon and this is going to be an epic battle, but because it gave him the excuse, because he never wanted a war with the Federation. No, we could tell he didn't want a war. No, this was entirely Martok's pushing. Yeah. Uh, But he also knows that in Klingon society, he can't just stop the war. He has to continue it. He has to have an excuse. He has to have a good excuse. So having a common enemy and the Federation having proven themselves to be honorable enemies as well as honorable allies gives him just enough political wiggle room to make this go. Yeah. Like, we need each other. That's just how this is. And like I said to Megan, I think we earned a lot of the, the Klingons' respects for how much we held our own in, in the, the war against them. Yeah, we didn't just fold up them. and die. Yeah. Uh, which is what I think a lot of Klingons thought. Because yeah. they kind of thought, they of, us thought as, of us as a weak, younger weak brother. Weak, nerdy brother. Yeah. And then it turns out, no, we got teeth if you come at us, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Specifically because of Cisco. I honestly yeah. think Cisco is one of the leading reasons why the Federation had teeth in that time period. <laughs> Probably. So uh, then we get another war fight, and he uh, he kills this Jem'Hadar and then screams. And I like to think that was him doing the Klingon burial ritual. Yeah. Uh, he didn't force the eyes open, but in the first episode about Worf and TNG, one of the best things about it, in my opinion, is we get to see the Klingon's death ritual. Yeah. Which is, if a Klingon dies and they didn't just get blown up or vaporized. You force their eyes open, and then you scream at the afterlife. And according to Data, uh, he goes, what was the scream? Because Picard asked, what was the screaming about? He goes, it's a warning, sir. A warning? Yes, to the afterlife. Beware. 
a warrior is about to arrive. Yeah. And I like to think that Worf sh- respected that Jem'Hadar enough to uh, warn the afterlife that, that he's about to fight That, and it was just badass. It was badass as fuck. He's just, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, Worf! He's, like, on his fifth battle and five victories, and <laughs> Martok is just like, yes, that, you had the spirit of Gayless in you. It's <laughs> so great. <laughs> yes. It's, it's, it's awesome. So, uh, meanwhile, Garrick has been in the wall uh, repairing and changing the, uh, the message so he can contact the runabout. Yeah. And here's the thing. It t- we get some great character acting here. Because yeah. he, uh, all by himself, a scene alone is the hardest to sell as an actor. Yeah. And he has to sell that he has a deep-rooted terror, uh, terror of claustrophobia. Yeah. Uh, and that he has a deep-seated sense of claustrophobia. Apparently he was buried alive or something like that. No, he was locked in the closet a lot. In Zenketh. Well, he says that the roof but, won't cave in on me, yeah. so it, it sounds like he was buried somewhere. He also had another saying where he... I think it was on Zenketh, is yeah. what he said. Yeah. But at any event, he, he had... It's a, multiple things. He has a deeply rooted sense of claustrophobia mm. and the fear of the dark, uh, which I understand. Yes. Uh, that's really terrifying. Uh, and this room is really tight, and the light is just this like little little. Um, just these couple fibers. Yeah, these optic fibers that are just glowing, and so he starts like freaking out. Yeah. As I understand, and they they pop open the door and drag him out. I love that Bashir is the one that goes in there trying to get him out, and he puts his arm around him and says, "Look, you can take your break a little early." Yeah. And he guides him out. And then he's just, like, laying on his side, and he has, like, a blanket over him, Garrick does. And then they talk, and, and Bashir goes, he must have a deeply rooted sense of claustrophobia. Yeah. It's impress- It's amazing he lasted as long as he did. Yeah. And then Worf and Martok don't insult him for it, which I am so glad. In fact, we'll get to a better line later, but the yeah. first thing I would have expected in a typical episode is... He's afraid of the dark and being enclosed. What a what a freaking weakling or something like that. What a loser. And any other Klingon would have said that. Yeah. Martok is like, well, just moves on to the next thing. Well, we have to figure out what else to do then. Yeah. If he can't contact and, the runabout, we can't get out of here. And Worf is empathetic enough to understand that, hey, he's yeah. seen other humans that are just like this. Yeah, it doesn't mean there's anything. I mean, he's yeah. met he's met Barkley. Yeah, Barkley. <laughs> Barkley was I afraid love, of everything. Yeah, I love Barkley, man. They tried so hard to make Hoshi the new Barkley, and they just failed yeah. on Enterprise because she wasn't. Charming she was better yet. when she was more badass. Yeah, she was like, charm. She was Barkley is charming in his nerdy, uh, scaredy. You, you actually feel a lot of empathy for him. Hoshi just came across as like annoying and whiny, which yeah. is really sad. Because everybody, when and I it, hope that has nothing to do with preconceptions regarding women and complaining. I'm really hoping that isn't part of me. No, no, but I, see, what, happen, what happened is in the Barkley episode, they went out of their way to at least show that the Enterprise uh, that, that the Enterprise crew could be kind of douchebags to people it. who aren't perfect. Not only that, it, it went out of its way to, to make Barkley's fear understandable, whereas Hoshi just seemed to be afraid for the sake of being afraid. For plot reasons. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, so um, then we get another conversation with Ducat where he warns that the, the station's going to be taken back yeah. to Cisco. And he's just talking out of his ass. He doesn't care. Yeah. I like that he admits, again, another character point, another recurring background element is that he admits that Cisco saved his life a number of times. 
I like that this also has absolutely no effect on Dukat. He doesn't care no. that much. He's like, you saved my life, so maybe your federation has a chance. You just gotta join the Dominion and become yeah. subservient. <laughs> to the, you know it would be under Cardassia. Yeah. Like, you know he would say, hey, we came here first, so they gotta be subservient to us. Yeah, you know that's what he wanted. Yeah, and it, it's also about reclaiming uh, the majority. He, he, know, he has to, okay, spoilers, the actual plan is to destroy the station and Bajor and the entire ensuing fleet that's going to join them. Yeah. And I think Dukat understands that's a that's a, a worthy goal, but he would rather have the Bajorans subservient to him. Yes. And he'd rather have the station back under his control, which is what they eventually get at the end of season six, I believe. Yeah. But at this point, I think he's like, okay, it's the Dominion's call. I don't want to rock the boat too much. Yeah. Uh, but if he can get Cisco to surrender to the, Federa- the Federation to the Dominion, he'll get the station and Bajor back. Yes. Uh, which is crazy logic, but he's a crazy fascist, so what do you expect? That it just kind of get reveals itself over time. <laughs> so uh, he's uh, Worf comes walking back in after his seventh battle and victory, and Martok is, like, geeking out hard. He's like, bruh, yeah. I know this guy yeah, who he... is a poet-slash-songwriter, and he is going to make... The best fucking song. About you. and then, uh, It's going to have guitar riffs. <laughs> it's going to have song. It's going to mention Bashir. It's going to mention Garrick. It's going to mention me for some reason. <laughs> he mentions, he goes, I, I don't uh, This is inferred. He yeah. doesn't exactly say that, but that's what I'm expecting. What he says is that, uh, I'll, I'll keep, Keter, I think is his name, some, Keter himself, which is, yeah. the, I guess, a legendary opera poet yeah. on Klingon. Homer, yeah. Which I love that Martok knows that a name of a poet slash opera man off the top of his head. Yeah. A living one. Yeah. Uh, which shows that he's a well-rounded character. But I also like the idea that um, the uh, he, he says to you know Bashir's like, well, just get me a copy when he gets done. He goes, I can do better than that. I'll make sure you're included. The, the healer that bound the warrior's wounds. So he could continue in his battle. <laughs> That's great. And then Garrick stands up. They say, well, we need to figure out a new way out of here. And, he, and Garrick stands up and goes... The old way will work fine. He goes, but Garrick, he goes, Garrick, you're still not healed. He goes, I have, uh, um, there's no one else who can make the contact to the runabout. And the uh, the lyric about, or the, the stanza about the Cardassian that coward in fear would ruin General Martok's song. And then Martok smiles and goes, that would be unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. And then him and, uh, well, Garrick just stands up and walks over. He goes, excuse and, me, my dungeon awaits. And yeah. he goes over to wait entry. Gar- uh, Martok and Worf have a private conversation, which yeah. I absolutely love. Yes. Where Martok says, there is no greater enemy than one's own fear. And then Worf says it takes a brave man to face them. And I just, like, it was such a good moment. Yeah, it was a great moment because the, neither of them are mocking him for being afraid of just being, in cla- being claustrophobic and scared of the dark. Yeah. They understand that fear, regardless of species, is, is a- the greatest enemy. Yeah. And no matter what that fear is, if you have the bravery to face it, you are worthy of honor. Yes. Which I like. It's, I, yeah, it was, it's a great moment. I love it. Yeah, it's a great little moment and it's, it's really fun. It's also, I think, when uh, Worf legitimately, or Garrick legitimately earned his respect. Yes. So he goes in and he starts... You may never trust him, but no, he no, respects him. None of them will ever trust him. But he respects <laughs> Not completely. him. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so Garrick goes back in, and then we cut back to the station once he's getting ready for the battle, and fake Bashir mentions that he ordered new duranium darts, 
And uh, O'Brien's like, what the fuck are you talking about, O'Brien? He goes, well, there's life has to go on. My question is this. Do you think he actually ordered those darts? Because first of all, he knows the station's about to be blown up. And number two, if he did, how weird is it for Bashir when he gets back to his, his thing? Just these Why the fuck do I have darts? Where did these darts come from? <laughs> it's just one of those things I'd love to see. Like a, But I felt like it was like a, a slip-up. It was a slip-up from a con- concept that Bashir would be... As naive as Bashir is, he would be more focused on the job at hand yeah. than ordering darts. Yeah, like, this Miles a- was pull, like pushed back by it. Like, he was like, what are you talking about? We're about to have a possible intergalactic war, and you're mm-hmm. talking about darts? And you you can almost see the changeling kind of like, well, shit, okay, I gotta recover from this a little bit. Yeah, so he just says, life goes on and all that. So I'm hoping it's gonna be for the best. Yeah. And I'm like... Holy shit, this is good. <laughs> this is good shit here. So uh, then Worf gets taken off to fight Kaktika, the actual, or whatever his name is, the actual, yeah. the base is The Jem'Hadar leader. Yeah, the Jem- the Jem'Hadar leader at the base, uh, the prison base. And uh, meanwhile, uh, the Romulan, I'm sorry, the Klingon and Federation fleets arrive and get set up at DS9, and then the Romulans decloak just there, and they ask it's to join great. the fleet. It's great, because it's a great <laughs> little moment. Yeah, Cisco's like, I'll, I'll be damned. <laughs> Hell yeah, let him join, buddies. I like that the Romulans recognize that... This is a threat. This is a serious threat to the entire Alpha Quadrant. They will be back. They will attack them eventually. And standing together is their only chance. And although the Romulans don't like either the Klingons or the Federation, they're the devil they know. Yeah. And the devil you know is better than the devil you don't nine times out of ten. Yes. They know what the Federation will do. They know what the Klingons will do. They have no clue what the Dominion can do. So it's a better overall gamble to yes. side with them, which I really liked. I liked that they just showed up and reinforced them. It was like the yeah. the elves showing up at Helm's Deep in Lord of the Rings yeah. 2. <laughs> <laughs> like, your odds didn't actually guarantee victory now, but they're slightly better than they were before. Yeah. So then Worf, uh, in, the, in the gladiator ring, every time you're knocked down, you have to hit these lights to, to continue the fight. And Worf is told by Martok and the base commander, yield. Because he is... Already broken and He's bloody. Like, Your before honor he even went has out been there. met. It's yeah. sated. You can call, you can stop. Yeah, you can stop now. And, and Worf says, like, "I will oh, not no. yield." <laughs> and then, so Worf doesn't give up either. No. And by the way, like I said earlier, I like the fact that Garrick doesn't give up. Yeah. That's him facing his fears, and it wouldn't. I don't think it would have happened if it's kind of a parallel battle. Garrick battling himself uh-huh. while Worf is literally battling. Yeah, and I also like the idea that if I don't, I don't honestly believe Garrick would have been able to pull himself together if Bashir hadn't been there. Yeah. If it wasn't for Bashir looking after him when he was collapsing, yeah. Yeah. I don't think Garrick could have pulled himself together enough yeah. to get back yeah. into the fight. Even though Bashir didn't want him to. Yeah. It was just knowing that someone that legitimately saved his life multiple times that he actually cares about and yeah. that he knows knows his greatest secret that Inabrintain was his dad. Because I can imagine that was probably the first secret that Inabrintain ever drilled into Garrick's head to keep a secret. Yeah. I am not your father. Don't ever let nobody anyone... Nobody will ever know. No one ever gets to know that. Know. And he literally went out of his way to make sure get, make sure Bashir heard it. Yes. Or at least put it together. Yeah. So I like that. That it, yeah. it, I, I like to imagine that after the wire, I like to imagine that if it wasn't for Bashir, he would have given up again. Yeah. But he doesn't. Because yeah. Bashir reminds him of who he really is, which yes. is a man who does not give up. No. Um, I also think that's part of the reason why Worf doesn't surrender in the battle, is because 
the fucking Cardassian didn't give up. Yeah, <laughs> so I got But the out. fucking Cardassian who's scared of the dark and small spaces is not giving up. I'm not going to give up. If he's going to face his fear, then I'm going to face my pain. Yeah. That's just how it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. Because he's. I know. No, I was just thinking of the really bad um, Star Trek Discovery episode. Yeah. Choose your pain. Yeah, oh, I didn't mean that. I know. So, um, Sorry, it just popped in my head. It's fine. In it's the base fine. of thoughts. <laughs> uh, so, Bashir, uh, the, 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 the Jemadar show up in their cell. Yeah. And they're looking for Garrick to execute him, which I'm curious as to why it took several days to decide to execute him. I'm sure Dukat asked that immediately. But maybe the 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 um, the founders wanted to keep Garrick alive for a few days just to show Dukat who was actually in charge. Yeah. You know, you can want him dead and he'll die eventually, but right now he's going to die on our timetable. Yeah. But the time is up. They're going to kill him. And the Jem'Hadar, like, they find the, the little, like, lever thing they were using to pop the wall out. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, the leader of the Jem'Hadar group says, okay, what is this? And he goes, uh, Bashir just is snarky about and it. And he's like, oh, it's probably a self-sealing stem bolt, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> so then the Jem'Hadar guy turns around and shoots the male Romulan in their cell and just vaporizes him. Yeah. He goes, her next, and he points at the female Romulan. I don't know her name. I don't think her character even gets a name in the episode. No. Though she is the one of the the only other cell character that isn't a main character from the show that gets any lines at all. Yeah. Um. So uh, they're about to kill him, and then uh, the the junior Jemadar officer figures out it's used to pop the wall open. Yeah. So he does, and while he's crawling through the the vent, uh, the Breen, who really hasn't done anything up to this point. Gets up and grabs the, the second blaster from the, the commanding group, a commander of the group, shoots him, yeah. and then uh, the uh, the female Romulan attacks one of the other Jemadar, and then uh, right when the, the younger officer climbs out of the vent, he pulls up his gun and shoots, and he shoots the Breen at the exact same time the Breen shoots him, so they both So they both vaporize. And then they and then sh- and then Bashir takes the, the lever thing, and he pulls the back end off of it, and it turns out it's a shiv. And he just walks he up just and shanks, stabs the dude. He just shanks this motherfucker. In the neck. In the neck. I'm like, damn. Then he immediately... Bashir, then he, damn. he yells through the wall, and he goes, how many more uh, relays do you have to do? Three. Well, hurry up. And he, well, hurry up, because we're about to be up to our eyeballs in Jem'Hadar. And while he's doing that, he's reconfiguring the Jem'Hadar weapon so he can use it. It's a pretty badass moment. Yeah, it's I, good. I really wish the brain had lived. Uh, especially given that the Breen become a major plot point in the very last episodes of the very last season. Yeah, having, they don't get explored that much. Having that Breen live and like maybe warn them or give letters or something later to Bashir would have yeah. been nice to build them up in the background. But they didn't do that. That was no. a missed opportunity. That was a missed opportunity, but to be fair, I don't think they knew what they were going to do with the Breen yet. No, no. See, DS9 has a lot of greatness to it, uh-huh. but it was also a show that they... Didn't they wrote as they went along. They wrote as they went along. They a lot of ideas they yeah. could have used earlier. They had a lot of opportunities that they just didn't explore. They retconned brilliantly, but it also meant retconning. Yeah. Uh, but having that Breen, like maybe him and Bashir, because they worked, they you know maybe he felt felt he owed Garrick and Bashir a debt, so he was constantly contacting them like a pen pal, and that's how you get background information about what the Breen are up to. Yeah. That would have been nice, but we can't go back and change the story. No. Um, I'm sure if they knew where they were going with the story from the beginning, they could have rewrote some of this stuff. Yep. 
So then we found out that uh, the other Bashir is in one of the, the fake Bashir is in one of the runabouts. And it turns out he has a generations bomb, uh, the trilithium explosive that can blow up a sun. Yeah. So he has the Star Trek generations bomb. Yeah. Uh, and he's flying it directly into the Bajoran sun. They find this out because uh, they Garrick activates the the beam. Oh, uh, the the leader of the base refuses to kill Worf. Yeah. Because Worf won't yield, so he yields. Yeah. And the Vorder says, "Okay, shoot them both," which yeah. is such a dick move. Yeah. And uh, and just as that was about to happen, that's Worf when... Worf gets beamed away because yeah. of Garrick. Garrick. Yeah. And the leader of the base is vaporized. We get yeah. to see that. Which is kind of sad. Uh, yeah. He was not exactly a deep character, but I did like that he didn't want to kill Worf. Because he found him honorable enough. He found him too honorable to kill. Yeah, he found this... Impressive. Yes. Uh, so he, uh, they get beamed up, and then you know Worf has a moment with Garrick where he says, Garrick, you did well. And Garrick goes, you did too. Mm-hmm. And then Worf goes in the back to get treated, and then Bashir tries to hail the station, which is when they realize that if Bashir is hailing us from the... Del- the, uh, the Gamma and who quadrant. the fuck was on that rope? <laughs> yeah, who the fuck's on the station? Yeah. Uh, and they they warp within... Uh, Kira's sent to destroy the Yukon, I think it is? is yeah. Is that runabout? It's a runabout, the Yukon. The, the runabouts take a beating in this show. They, yeah. they get blown up or There's destroyed a lot in of, three episodes. Yeah, it's not as bad as what they do in Voyager, but no. it's still pretty bad. It's still pretty bad. So um, they get... They're headed to... Uh, he's headed to the sun... The Defiant warps within system, which they act as like a dangerous thing to do, but they do it fine. Yeah. Uh, then they grab him with the tractor beam and they throw him off course and then he explodes. Uh, he's done. Yeah. Uh, and then we get a wrap up where Worf gets to meet back up with Jadzia and she says, are my, my things okay? And she goes, eh, for the most part. <laughs> and, uh, More or less. <laughs> Garrick meets up with Zial and she's happy to see him because he promised he'd come back. Yeah. Uh, O'Brien says, you know, it's really weird. I didn't know. I've been hanging out with a changeling for, for a month and I didn't know it. It's really weird because it was obvious in hindsight. I mean, he was so much easier to get along with. And uh, like, listen, you motherfucker. <laughs> that's pretty rough to say to a guy who just went. That's in, rough to say to your best friend. Who just man. got in prison. Like, you know what it's like He's to be in. He's been in our prison camp. He's clearly. You been know in, what it's like to be in prison. You got all those memories stuffed in your yeah, head. Yeah, not only that, but he, when we first introduced him, he was apparently in solitary confinement for like two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> but it's meant to be a lighthearted end. We're yeah. going to make it. Uh, Cisco, before this, after the explosion, realizes that all the. the the emissions they're getting from engines from the Dominion fleet yeah. are fake. Yeah. So he orders the entire fleet to stand down. Uh, Galron agrees that because of the importance of DS9, they're going to leave a contingent of, of. Uh, Klingons in the area. And as long as Cisco gets to choose the commanding officer and he chooses Martok because Worf respects him. Yeah. And I love there's a moment where Martok looks over, like Galron gives the nod before Martok says yes. Yeah, because like Martok's like, Really? Yeah. Me? And he, and Martok, I'm honored. <laughs> but I like that Galron gives him the nod because yeah. it's a way of showing that you know he still needed the permission of his you know chancellor. Yes. Uh, I'm trying to think if there are any other wrap ups. I think that's more or less it. Ducat contacts Cisco. Cisco and tells him like the oh, most you, chilling fucking line. <laughs> yeah, you pulled it off. You got out of this, and he goes, yeah, you know the bomb would have killed your daughter too. And he's like, she's not my daughter anymore. She made us. She made her choice, which is. God, he's an asshole. Yeah. And then Ducat does his MAGA line. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. I will make Cardassia strong again. And I'm <laughs> like, oh shit, man, that's chilling. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 pretty creepy. Yeah, that's this is from the nineties. This yeah. is from what, like ninety 
five ninety six somewhere around there somewhere around there um maybe and, early two thousands because I think uh, the generation next generation started I think in eighty eight well I think the DS DS nine started after it ended that's why I'm getting there so it would have been eighty eight to ninety five and then ninety five to two thousand two DS nine started in ninety three if you say so yes. So even then, this is season what five, six. Yeah. It still would have been. It still would have been after ninety five. Yeah, but it would have been around the. It would have been still in the nineties. Yeah, sorry, in ninety three. You're right. So this would have been. What season was it? Six or five? Five, five. So it'd been like ninety seven, right? Yeah, ninety seven. This aired okay, uh, February tenth. So Holy 97 shit. To My sister was just born. And 17th to 97. Yeah. The two episodes. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that's the end, I believe. I don't think there's anything else in that particular episode. Good two-parter. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, it's on one of show. my favorites, too. <laughs> um, is there any reason in particular you chose this that we didn't discuss? Uh, I'm obsessed with Garrick. Obviously. <laughs> uh, I love Dr. Bashir. Uh, Worf was awesome in this episode. And Martok. The sort of the bro talk, bromance between Martok and Worf. Martok right. was great. Uh, it just is a lot of greatness in this. In Auburn Tains, the end of the tr- in Auburn Tain trilogy. He fucking dies like a douchebag he is. Yeah. <laughs> he's I a s- great character, but he's a douchebag. Yeah. Um, I just like, yeah, I just, it has my favorite characters in it and all that. And just, I, it just was a really good episode, a lot of goodness in it. So, I'm not I love ZL, I love Kira, just I'm not knocking your choice. I just wanted to say if there was any reason beyond what we talked about that you picked this particular one. <laughs> no? Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> nice. I think most of those reasons were discussed in The Wire. Okay. <laughs> Where um, right. I just I just, I just, just love Garrick. Yeah, <laughs> it's just you so said clear. Your only, com- your only complaint about this was that <laughs> Uh, the Zial relationship is the closest thing Garrick ever gets to a real relationship. And as yeah. a queer-coded character, you wish he'd actually had a queer thing. And it isn't just us, by yeah. the way. Even uh, Andrew Robinson wanted it. Well, not only that, yeah. uh, in the documentary, What We Left Behind, um, what's-his-face? Hire Stephen Bear. Hire Stephen Bear literally said people figured out that Garrick was supposed to be queer really early. We should have gone further with that. Yeah. Uh, which I agree. It would have been nice. Uh, it would have been nice. Way ahead of its time for the 90s. But I would have been for it 110%. Because at that point, they were going through the uh, lesbian kiss phase where they two two women would kiss in one episode and then one of them would die at the end or yeah. leave. And I then am, that was the farthest we got to queer representation. I am really... There's some elements of Babylon 5 I'm not sure how you're going to take. We'll see. We're going to have to get there. Uh, but anyway, uh, so that's the end of this episode and this week's episode of us reviewing Star Trek. Uh, we'll be back uh, probably in two weeks, more than yeah. likely, maybe a little bit longer. We'll see. It depends on how crazy It depends get. on how fucked up America is. It also depends on your work schedule. That too. I, my so, work schedule's all been reversed, so it's a little... Mm-hmm. It's, it's something. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that's it for this week, though. This, yeah. is, uh, this is Eric. This is Megan. <laughs> And uh, we hope you all stay safe. Uh, COVID is still a thing. And, of course, the unrest is a thing. Mm-hmm. Stay safe. Keep your eyes open. Wear masks. Look after each other. And we'll be back next time. Yep. All right. Bye. Bye.